Welcome to Garden People with your host, Jill Sowards of Violet Air Studio. Join us each season as we speak with your favorite garden people, designers, florists, growers, naturalists, chefs, artists, and more about how gardens have shaped their lives and informed their work today with seasonal tips, expert recommendations, and lots and lots of plants. To learn more, go to our website at violetairstudio.com. You'll find episode information, our seasonal journal, class list, and seed offerings. Everything you need to start your own garden story. My guest today is Melissa Goldstein, a ceramic artist I have long admired based in Brooklyn, New York. Her work, hand-thrown and painted with the cobalt stain and occasional metallic splatter, is inspired by 17th century German and Japanese botanical illustration and draws on numerical calligraphy, botanical drawings, and ornithology. Her pieces are absolutely exquisite. From platter to vase, the flowers seem to grow, the birds are caught mid-flight, and speak to a life of close observation and deep immersion in art and the world as a garden. I'm so pleased to welcome her to Garden People. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the program. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> I wanted to begin by asking you just to describe yourself and your work, where you work, what it is you do. For the last, I would say, three or four years, I've come back to ceramics, which was something I've done over and over throughout my life. And this was after a long break. And it was more, I found a place to do it and at home and I have a garden and I started making ceramics again for my own pleasure at home, and then it was always porcelain. So I had to find a place in the city to do high fire, which is very different than low fire, which is more like a China-based clay. And so I found a place and I started making things, and I had friends that were in photography and in like food design and that kind of thing. And they saw it and they were like, you've got to do this. Yeah. And for me, I was just doing it for me and my family. And and they're like, no, no, no. And I was like, really? And they're like, yes, you have to. So I just started making it and showing it to people. And I was getting really good feedback. And so I kind of transitioned to be doing it more and more. Wonderful. And where did you first learn ceramics? When did you first come to your life? I started doing ceramics when I was like 12 at a community center in Rockland County, New York. It's funny because there's a piece I have, which is blue and white. And I clearly must have seen some kind of Chinese vases or something because it looks exactly like what I'm doing now. And this little thread that went through my life that I had no idea about. So it's just like the most perfect little vase. And I was just in Lisbon at the Museum of Antiquity, and I saw I saw a vase that looks exactly like it. So I feel like there's been like this like circle coming back to looking at ancient art and making things that, that draw on it. Yeah. And you frame your interest as coming from German and Japanese 17th century illustration. What sort of spoke to you about that? When did you first see it and want to apply it to your work? Well, I think that I was curious about some of the botanical drawings that were done in actually different countries because they were they were done to scale and they were scientific and they were 
doing the whole phase of the flower. So it wasn't just the bloom, it was the seed, it was dissecting it. And my background's in photo research. And that was both like illustration and historical, and it all just kind of started fitting together. And I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and they have a library there that anyone can use. And they had the original books, woodblock prints of Japanese Mm -hmm. botanical prints. And you can just like, there's tons of them. And you could just spend all day there. So it was both a curiosity about how people were depicting the flowers and documenting them scientifically, and then the different types like woodblock and watercolor and just all of that as a visual person. It just, it wasn't really about making a choice. It was just like where interests started guiding me. Yeah, yeah. And your work celebrates the natural world, seems particularly individual flowers. And what speaks to you about that particular subject, sort of what attracted you to it and made you want to share it? I think I've always been drawn to the garden, but also to the natural world. So I originally, when I was doing it for my family, making these porcelain pieces, I had this idea that that I wanted the table to become an animated place and not just through conversation and food, but create some kind of movement through the table. And I was drawn to birds flying across plates and that led me to the flowers. And then on a lot of the drawings, the old drawings, there's beautiful numbers, numbering Mm -hmm. plates that are, depicted in the books. And I started like playing with the calligraphy of those numbers and then feeling like, you know, how wonderful to sit down at a table with like numbers and birds and flowers. And it felt like the books were coming to life in that Mm -hmm. way. I mean, in the future, I think I'm going to be taking words themselves and using sections of words in different languages and, and trying to incorporate that But I think the idea was not having a table that was still and set by the person. So like when people sit down at a table and there's like, you know, everyone has their little thing, whether it's like a single flower on a plate, like the old plates, I wanted it to interact with each other. Yeah. You're sort of describing, I think, a lot of a lot of your work, obviously, the plates and vessels and a lot of tableware. You also do tile. And I was wondering how that evolved from your table settings? Well, I think the tiles really started as a way of experimenting with images without committing to object. And then it became part of the table in terms of like trivets or whatever. But it's like a really nice format to to just play around. Yeah. And now I, I've made tiles in my kitchen, but I'm always like, I want to redo it and do it this way and that way. Yeah. And coming back from Lisbon, especially with the houses are all white, mm-hmm. tiles, you know, it's just like the supermarket completely covered with tiles. <laughs> just like, you know, like ornament and displays. It's uh, Why not? Yeah. You know? It's such a wonderful design, you know, sort of set. And I love how it comes through in 
often in sort of the trade, right, of, of sort of 17th century trade, like the Dutch have and Portuguese mm -hmm. and everything. But it's just such a wonderful through line that you see this similar idea representing different cultures across the world and across time. It's wonderful to have our, the American version. <laughs> yeah, well, what I think you're saying is the influence of Chinese ceramics mm -hmm. on European and traditions and how that was, you know, somebody would, might see it as co-opting, but it, it's like this beautiful celebration of something beautiful in their own way. And, you know, there's the willow pattern from China and, and the Portuguese interpreted this way and the English interpreted this way. And you can see like the little variations and it's this wonderful way of looking at an idea across cultures. And I do feel like, yes, okay, I'm doing that too. You know? <laughs> and why not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and can you share a little bit about how you developed the use of the gold splatters in your work and when you, you decide to execute that? I'm splattering with, one is a kind of reflective metal and the other is, is gold. Mm -hmm. But at first it was a mistake. Oh. And in that way, it's like really wonderful. Yeah. I, was, I was using a studio before I was completely set up and someone had gotten glaze on my the blue and white and it was this metallic kind of glaze and I was like and it was a splatter and I was like this is kind of wonderful mm -hmm. and so I started doing that with some of the platters I figured out a, a kind of reflective metal that melts and becomes kind of blackish and purplish in the light and then I thought oh there's what if we take that kind of mistake and elevate it with gold and make it this random sort of one of a kind for each piece. And I think there's also like not treating gold as this precious thing also. And just like, it's like a random thing yeah. that I liked. Absolutely. That's so cool. You also double fire your work, correct? In order to sort of change a little bit the patterning? Porcelain is like the highest fire clay. It can be translucent and like glass. I fire it first as a bisque fire, which is what most people do. And then I bring it over to Long Island City to this really fantastic studio that letting me use their gas kiln. And then it's fired to a really, really high temperature there. And it's, it's a reduction fire, which takes the oxygen out of the clay and creates the randomness in the cobalt, mm. which is blue. And it gives it kind of layers of depth of uh, color and also provides that kind of reflective with this splatter that I do. And then after that, if I do the gold, then there's another firing. So there's three firings for that kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. And so that's about, would you say, I guess, I'm sure pieces sort of have different amounts of time that you work on them based on sort of shape and what you're creating, but could you walk us through sort of the timeline, how long each piece would take from clay? Yeah. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. It's kind of crazy what I'm doing because I'm not using decals and I'm not, you know, tracing it. I'm, I'm drawing so if I'm drawing a zinnia on a vase, I might be doing it four times. And that would be like a small vase, and it has four different 
zinnias sort of together like a paper cutout. And it could take me hours to paint on it. And yeah, it doesn't, I mean, it's definitely a labor of love in the end. So yeah, I can throw really fast. I can throw big giant platters easily. And those are usually like 10 pounds of clay that that come out like 16 inches wide, that shrink to 14 inches. But it's really been the painting that's been like a huge amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And so you are, every single piece, it's not even drawn on a, separately on a, it's your hand painting directly onto the surface. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm hand painting with cobalt. Mm-hmm. So it's pure cobalt. So it looks pink before it's fired. It's kind of hard to see. So if you want to do any kind of washes or shading, it's really hard to see. The pink just like, it's almost like a watercolor. It can be, but it's a very light pink on the white. So yeah. it's a little tricky sometimes. Wow, that's uh, many levels of artistic demand. That's in, it's, you know, I, someone once described a peach as every peach being the perfect peach because it has to go through like, potential frosts and every all the things that happen to it because it's a really long growing season. I think it's similar. It's like the yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, inevitably something goes wrong. So, you know, someone orders a, a platter, I have to make two of them just in case right. it goes you know, and that's crazy. Right. <laughs> right. It really is. And so what does the spring season mean to you? What do you see in your garden? What are you responding to in your work or even personally? Well, the first thing that comes up are the bulbs. And so I'm eagerly awaiting them. And when I see the fritillaria come up, I just like lay on the ground. And I just lay on the ground and just kind of like play with them like little bells. I mean, I get so happy just to be next to the earth and smell it. But right now I'm working on a 70 vases for, there's a place called Fox Fodder Farm mm-hmm. where they make these really beautiful bouquets out of different kinds of flowers. And the bouquets are a little abstracted. And they asked me to do these vases that are all based on spring flowers. And I'm just finishing that now. So that's what my spring's been. Yeah. Seeing what they do with them all. Yeah. Oh, what a wonderful collaboration. Their work is so beautiful. Well, you know it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, they're fantastic things. Yeah, I'm very, very excited to see what they're going to look like. Yeah, yeah. So that's sort of a, a true, I don't say like a emergence, the 70 vases. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, been, it's actually been wonderful because I've just been painting for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's been a great challenge yeah. to make each one different. Absolutely. And when you speak of the garden, did you have gardens when you were younger? Is that how you were raised, sort of in the garden and garden spaces? Growing up in the Northeast, it was really a lot of hiking. And so it wasn't so much like the garden because it was a short season. It was the world. So it was like the forests. And I went hiking a lot with my father and his friends. And my dad was friends with John Cage. Mm -hmm. And so we used to do a lot of mushroom picking. So I'm quite good at finding mushrooms. Oh, great. But there was a lot of time looking at the ground and baskets of morels and chanterelles. 
And definitely the garden was huge in, well, the world garden was a big part of our lives, the fall with the mushrooms, especially. But when I was little, my dad planted a cherry tree for me and a pear tree for my sister. And so that was like our defining who we were mm-hmm. in a way. In my garden now, I have a brownstone in Brooklyn and you know, they each place comes with a small garden. And mine is as compact and packed as it possibly <laughs> could. And the way I've done that is I have espaliered plants everywhere, defining the edges. So there's the back is a wall of hornbeams with an arch going through it to my neighbors who I'm friends with. And one side is a Belgian fence of pear trees, of five pear trees. And then there's a chain link fence dividing my other neighbors. And I didn't like the chain link. So now I'm weaving quince, three different shades of red through the chain link so that it will be this like go from light to deep, deep red. And it's it's really like growing like crazy. And it is starting to to take on the colors like and blend together. So I'm very excited about that. That's beautiful. It's like an ombre kind of chain yes. link That's fantastic. Yeah. So I'm always like trying to find like flat surfaces that I can, that don't take up a lot of room. Yep. <laughs> how much can I cram in there and make functional, you know? Yes. I'm sure the eye you developed in order to spot those mushrooms because they can be both distinguishing them when you found them, but also being able to spot something really must be a sort of a through line in your ability to observe because the way you capture those flowers on, again, on a plate, you know, it's just remarkable. Oh, thank you. I distinctly remember as a child being very close to the ground and the sound of the leaves and the crunching of the branches going on hikes with my father and, you know, holding a basket and looking for, for the mushrooms. And my dad being generous and taking the time to show me the different gills and the structure underneath and how to identify. I mean, yeah, I think paying attention and slowing down and looking at things carefully, it's definitely what I want to do in my life in every part of it. And I think the people that have my work and are, I guess, selling it to the public, I've really tried to see them more as um, partners in some way. Mm -hmm. There's a a farm in Massachusetts that makes cheese and it's like the best cheese ever. And it was like these kinds of people that, you know, I was drawn to. There's a shop in Amagansett called EE Home And they've been just as in love with detail and Japanese craftsmanship. And, you know, it's been like an honor to be a part of their, their team of artisans, you know? Yeah, that's wonderful. Maybe the cherry is one of them, but are there any plants that you remember observing or really loving as a young person that you carry through in your work or that you think about connect to when you're, when you're making your current work? I don't know if there's like individual plants. It's all just, I think that it's just a way of moving through the world that's inspired by close observation. Mm -hmm. Yes, the pears and the cherries. Yes, the zinnias, you know, the thing, the asparagus plants. I mean, the things I grew up with, the mushrooms. But I think it was more like slowing down and watching things grow 
and going out and, and looking for those kinds of growth and seeing the various stages of a plant, you know, whether it's like a mushroom and it's, you know, before it's like fully showing its characteristics. So, you know, you can eat it or not. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I haven't really thought of gardens as opposed to like, I just see nature hmm. and I feel like it's everywhere. And I think more of like, the gardens as something that someone defined and made. Whereas in New York City, I don't really like anywhere you find it, it's it's fabulous. Yes. Yeah. Very precious, <laughs> yes. Like here's this little teeny scrap of of soil and you know, someone put a seed in there and, and now there's like something fab, you know, some great vine that's growing up there. So it, it's like you know, by chance and by purpose. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you're creating your images, do you work from still life ever or is it photographs? How do you bring the image in or just your brain? <laughs> it's everything. So I have taken pictures of flowers in my garden and copied those exactly. Like there's something on my Instagram where I'm holding a bunch of chrysanthemums and then you can see how I transformed it into a platter. Yeah. Like, did like a dissolve and it's pretty like I mean that kind of thing's really fun for me to do but no I'm looking at everything really I'm totally not discerning everything's (laughs) and especially when I'm challenged with like a shape for example drawing on a platter is very different than drawing something in the round like a vase Mm -hmm. and how you make something that's like if you're if you're doing a plate, you can pretty much do anything. But how do you make something read in the round? Yes. And you know, those challenges are really fun. Yeah. So yeah, I'm always trying to think of it differently, not only in pattern, but in size of pattern and how to play with a kind of blowing something up really big. Yeah. Did ceramics come first or was hand drying first? I realize I think of them as sort of combined, but that's actually a really independent and, and demanding skill. Art was always a big part of my life. My dad used to give us drawing lessons when I was like four. So, I mean, he is a painter, among other things. My sister as well, you know, big, big artist. So I've always, I mean, I'd say when I was 12 or eight playing with clay, but I think throughout my life, we were always drawing. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that there are any plants that are key to your work that you continue to revisit? Or again, it's sort of everything is inspiring. Everything, you know, comes through seasonally. So you're sort of capturing what you want. I think that I'm really drawn to really complicated repetition in pattern of a, a flower. I knit also, and there's a usefulness to just repeating something over and over and having kind of like a, a round thing that keeps growing out from the center. Yeah. All, I mean, those kinds of things are really inspiring to me as well as kind of gestural sprouts or, or, or something like that. I don't think that there's, hmm, maybe the tulip is what I come back to and the iris a lot because it's, it's actually it's like a mixture of really specific and really gestural. Mm-hmm. And I can go back in after I paint it and kind of carve away at it. 
the edges are really fun to make and the hair on an iris on the very, very top curve of a petal. I mean, all of that is just like delicious. Yeah. You know? It's just like one thing to fuss over. Yeah. And then there's a surprise of how it comes out later. But I guess it would be especially the tulips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you have a tulips and bearded iris in your garden? I do. Wonderful. I have all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> all of that. <laughs> you said it was packed. Packed. <laughs> and it's a, like a 10-year-old garden. So I definitely am adding more than I should be constantly <laughs> and giving away, like having to section things off and, and send out a note to all my neighbors, you know, yes. bearded viruses in the front yard, of yeah. extra roses. I totally like overdid it when I first came here and didn't think about how big things could get. Yeah. And it was, it was disastrous. <laughs> No, but I think my, my neighbors appreciate it. I was about to say, disastrous for a <laughs> And what is your daily or weekly garden or, or also nature practice? How often are you out there, obviously, in season? <laughs> when it's in season, I'm definitely in the garden for an hour in the morning. And I eat in the garden. I do as much as I can out there. Being Brooklyn, by the time like mid-July comes, there's lots of mosquitoes. Right. So that's always a challenge, you know, like harvesting tomatoes and you run out and you're like, don't chase me. Yeah. <laughs> that's so yeah. So you have both ornamental and also you've managed to squeeze in some, some vegetables yeah. also. So what is that patch like? It's like heirloom tomatoes. I think that I've definitely scaled back mm-hmm. because the flowers became more center Mm -hmm. for me the vegetables were just like getting huge and there were like trails of cucumbers to get through (laughs) the tomatoes to get yeah it's just like yeah because I made those beds raised Mm -hmm. so I could pack more in those but um yeah right now I'm trying to just have like three tomato plants and I have five of the Belgian fence pears and then another pair that's more of like a traditional espalier by itself. Mm-hmm. So I'm really focusing on trying to get those to be as fruitful as possible. Right. And are you doing all of the maintenance yourself there or do you have any guidance on that? I don't have any guidance. <laughs> Wonderful. That's, I think that's demanding to do that. Yeah. To fan shape and, and, you know, make, especially the um, joining can be, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know what I'm doing, but it's working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely ask friends for advice and I look at old manuals and things. Yeah. Are you starting a lot of seeds in, I guess, in the next few weeks? Will you be doing that? Outside? Yeah. I'm going to be doing, yeah. I have a, I collected a bunch of poppy seeds mm-hmm. that have been in the refrigerator and I'm going to, yeah, I think in the next couple of days, things are going to warm up and I'm going to start plugging things in the ground rather than yeah I was growing things inside mm-hmm. for years and I just stopped really last year mm-hmm. because I realized they kind of do better just being planted in the ground yeah. and it, it doesn't really give it that much of a yeah of a, yeah because yeah, they sort of need to acclimate to the move anyway and that's in the ground and the temperature both seem to I know what you mean <laughs> 
Yeah, and the you know, them getting like long legged and scraggly yeah, yeah. and it's like yeah. oh, just up there. Maybe I'll put a glass over some of them mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. And in your selection, it seems, at least from the images you've shared of the flowers from your garden and also on your work, it seems like you gravitate toward what I would think of as, again, those more garden blooms, not like florist blooms. <laughs> and I was wondering if you agree with that, what you think you're attracted to that, those particular plants, things that are a little, I would say, things that don't travel well almost. Like fritillaria. Yeah. And the Tulipa Clusiana, I think, was in your in some of your images. Yeah, yeah. that's true. They don't travel well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think for the Persica, it's just really fun to draw. Mm-hmm. You know, things that have a main stem and then branch out are like super beautiful on a round platter. Yeah. So that's like, you know, a lily that a Mardigan lily. I mean, you just are dying for all those umbrellas coming up disappearing into like little teeny knobs on top yeah. i love all that and that's pretty traditional in terms of uh like northern european paintings and things absolutely and for your garden do you take inspiration from anywhere are there any particular gardens or books or people that you find yourself looking to i go everywhere looking at gardens in the city and i bike a lot i mean my neighborhood was, I guess, like a hundred years ago, settled by a lot of Italians. Mm-hmm. And there's incredible gardens with really mature plants and fig trees. Mm-hmm. There's incredible flowering trees on my block, cherry trees. There's very, very mature gardens that are that people have like wisteria that they've trained you know, from a branch from Italy. You know, yeah, and wow trend so my neighborhood you could just jog or bike a walk and it's just like one after another somebody's just like pouring you know their heart is shining through their garden they're just like ecstatic and you can see it you know and there's these old people that are just working there so I don't think that it's like one thing or one place or one plant I think for me it's about again just like looking carefully and noticing but it's my whole neighborhood, yeah. you know, it's like all around me. I don't really distinguish between the fire hydrant that's next to a little piece of earth that a tree's growing, you know, yeah. people in New York take over every little part. And especially in this neighborhood, it's like really well tended. Yeah. It's amazing to me how gardens beget gardens, you know, if they're mm-hmm. especially where there's a tradition in that way, you know, whoever purchase those houses, you know, you sort of think, oh, you see that around you and it kind of builds on it. You know, the neighborhood that has a few has many. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a great way to meet people. Yes. Yeah. It's a real community builder. Yeah. Yeah. And do you keep a record or diary in any way of your, either your garden or your work? I try to keep a a record of my work Mm -hmm. for sure. I try to photograph everything and my friend actually just made me like the most beautiful precious little book of all of she's Nachman no is a photographer and yes. does a lot of fun. and one of the people that really that encouraged me and guided me through this Wonderful. <laughs> and she made me the most precious little book that has a almost everything I've made in the last year or two wow. yeah and like there's grids of images sweet 
So I try to keep up on my website as a diary of what I've made, even if I don't have any more of it. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of my garden, I did keep notes on, on everything when I first moved here because I had never had a piece of earth to myself. Yeah. And I, I think now it's just saving seeds and labeling them like you know, taking seeds out of the garden yeah. and putting in a little piece of tissue and writing 1999 yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still using those seeds so in that way it's kind of like a diary yeah absolutely I know your garden is packed but is there anything new that you want to try or that you might have your eye on for this coming year well, I brought so many seeds back from Lisbon. Oh, cool. Um, I shouldn't be saying I did. Right. But it, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they listen to the show. <laughs> I don't think customs listens. We'll see. I mean, it's really just kind of everything, like the quince and seeing how that, that takes to the colors, Yeah. how they're going to be blending more. I have a lot of Japanese tree peonies mm. that I got botanical garden sales and those are always like super surprising because there's like stripes and some and it's like how did that that same plant one flower stripe the other one isn't yeah there's a my neighbor next door had raised a big family italian family and they'd been in the building since like the 30s or something mm-hmm. and the father was a construction worker but he would save plants from different houses. Then he passed away and his wife passed away, but there was a rose in their garden that was so beautiful and had these, it's like a little bush that had like a million different rosettes all over it in this coral color. And it's just like heartbreakingly beautiful. I don't know where he might've gotten it from, but one day I, I took a little snip of it and I was able to grow it. And it took, and now it's really big. And I noticed like a few doors down because the yards are all connected. I I saw the same color down the yard and I went over there and and it's the same rose. So they must have planted it at the same time or shared it and started it. There must have been some connection there, which is a fun rose to revisit every year. Yeah, that's wonderful. You reminded me of a childhood rose that I I love, and it came from um, my father bought my mom as an anniversary gift, a set of candlesticks that was made by an artist in Berkeley, actually. And so we went across the bridge, you know, to get them and come back. And he had had some rooted cuttings of a rose and gave them to us. And so he grew it and we called it the anniversary rose. And then in my neighborhood, there is one. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sort of certain it's from the same place. Yeah. 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 It's a nice story. I mean, it's kind of like a child story. Yes. Yeah. And you seem like such a creator and creative person. Do you ever feel blocked or stuck in work? And if so, what helps you through? In ceramics, I think the only time I've felt stuck was when I couldn't find a place to do a high fire. Yeah. And that, I mean, there's really just like three Mm -hmm. in the city. And it's very, very hard and very, like, extremely expensive to fire, high fire. So that... That was frustrating. I remember coming home and actually just like crying and just like, I worked so hard and I yeah. can't figure this part out. I've got to leave the city. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. 
But I think it's solved now. I feel really good about where I am right now. I don't feel stuck in any way. I mean, I'm way behind on what I need to make. And it's all because I spent way too long painting. But I don't want to feel like I have to. I'm not doing this. I'm doing this for myself, really, you know? So, I mean, it takes so long to make, and there's so many accidents that I'm just seeing the whole process as as the art and not getting stuck on the end because it is wonderful. I mean, it's wonderful for me to do yoga in the morning and then throw for three hours, take a break, and take what I threw – you know, the day before and trim it, then go into my other studio and paint. So it's like, this is a beautiful life, you know? I mean, this is what I always hoped for. So I feel really lucky. Oh, that's so wonderful. And based on your experiences, what do you think we can do to maybe bring more people into the garden? Or I guess I would say into art too. Oh gosh, I think people are, are more aware as things close down how much pleasure they get from finding places. Mm-hmm. And at least in New York where I am, you know, like the High Line, you can barely walk yes. it. And there's a new place called the Little Park, I think it's called, or Little Island yes. that just opened. And it, again, it's like anytime that there's an opening, it seems to fill and it's everyone, like the whole city is there. I mean, it's, it's glorious, yeah. really. I don't know what it's like in other places, but I know in New York, people are just like, the weather warms up and we're all just smelling the flowers, you know? Yeah, that's great. Yes. I was in New York when the High Line opened. I remember that and certainly in revisiting it. Yeah, it just seemed like any place you can offer up that is public and garden-ish, I think people people will meet you there. (laughs) And I I think that goes along with, you know, food and, and teaching kids to appreciate what they eat and know where it comes from. Yeah. And, you know, the kids I meet are really, I don't know, again, if it's like a New York City thing, but kids are like really adamant about being vegetarians. And I keep meeting more and more. I think somehow, somewhere, they are learning, you know, how to live in the world in a a more aware way. Yeah. I always wonder is... It seems like every generation is like that and then something changes, you know? So maybe the question is sort of how we hold on to it, but it does seem like this next, what is coming up are sort of more evolved humans somehow. (laughs) I agree. I agree in in so many ways. It's like, you know, truth conquers all. Yeah, yeah. And I think they just have more access to it. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, again, thank you so, so much for your time. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you. And I've long admired your work in many ways. I think it was one of the things that made me want to even work on this podcast because I was hoping to speak to people that use the garden in the way that you do to make art because I think it's such a wonderful, yeah, just such a wonderful gift. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Garden People is produced with generous support from our sponsor, Plant Gym. Plant Gem sells unique plants you won't find anywhere else for a garden that reflects your personal style. Find them at www.plantgem.com. As always, thank you for supporting the companies that support this podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you left a review as it helps other garden people find us. You'll find links for everything we've discussed in the show notes or on our website. To get early access to our guest list and information about bonus episodes, gardening tips from our guests, and more, 
sign up for the newsletter at violetearstudio.com.